Well, welcome to the MET podcast, the Music Education and Technology Podcast, with Chris Russell and Paul Shimmons. Hey, Paul, say hi. Hi, everybody. Welcome from uh, Michigan. Still no snow here. Minnesota as well. Right now I'm recording in Minnesota, even though I live in Wisconsin. I teach right next to the border and live right across the border. So um, being a uh, growing up near Milwaukee, I grew up as a Brewer and Packer fan, but it's amazing how the Packers kind of spread through the entire state of Wisconsin all the way to the border, um, which is hundreds of miles away from, from the Milwaukee and Green Bay area. Yep. Even up in the western part of the upper peninsula here. You're a Packers fan, man. Yeah, Packers. Yeah, the Youpers. Yeah, the Youpers. Yeah, so anyway, and they're having a not such a great year while the Vikings are having a great year. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, this podcast is meant to help music educators with technology, and we have a fantastic second half of this. We've already recorded it with Aaron Nelson, the developer of Unreal Book. Real good insights, lots of good stories. It was good talking yeah, to him. Lots of fun stories and a native Hawaiian. Um, it would have been much more fun to talk to him while it was about three feet of snow here and, you know, 80 degrees and sunny there. Yeah, right. So we always like to talk about some things before we get to the interview. And p- to be honest, everyone, it's a long interview. It's it's a little bit towards an hour in length or maybe even a little more. And uh, you'll enjoy it if you listen to it. It just it goes all over the place. And it was really fun talking with him because, again, a guy that isn't a music educator but is writing things that that can impact music and music education it was just it was just a really fun talk right and he's not a music educator but he's an active gigging musician and that was one of the fun things is to hear some of his stories about who he's playing with and such and and to know that he's writing an app because he uses it on stage all the time so it's good stuff and to have the background to be able to do that i i know i don't know if you know this paul but originally i got into apple products Way back in 2008, uh, when the iPhone came out, and I thought, well, you know what? I'd like to write some apps. So I bought a MacBook to, to write apps and then really quickly found out that I didn't have the experience to do that. Oh, my gosh. I know. My son called me last night. He's a graphic design major, and he needs a project. He says, hey, you got any ideas for apps? I said, you bet you I do. I just don't have time to design them. <laughs> so maybe he'll get on them for me. I don't know. Well, that'd be all right. And then he can pay for your retirement fund, too, with the profits that come out of that. No, no kidding. I bought all of his diapers. It's about time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about, so we'll just get on to that. Um, first of all, the big news that just came out this morning was Dorico is finally out. Uh, at the upgrade, cross-grade price right now is $279. And Paul and I were just talking about before we hit record here, I don't know if I'm going to buy it. Paul, what about you? What do you think you're going to do? Well, if I had the extra money around, I would buy it right now, but it's $280, (laughs) in which to be totally fair, I think it's worth it. I do, but I've already, I already own Finale. I have Sibelius on my home computer and I have Notion already. And so do I really need to spend another $280 on another notation app? I would like to, but yikes, not with Christmas coming probably. I'm in the same way, but if I'm going to spend $280 on something, I think it's going to be a ukulele right now. So, you know, it just, I don't know. And don't forget, you probably have MuseScore installed somewhere too, don't you? I do not, but you know what? With all my classes, we're using NoteFlight. So there's another one. NoteFlight, Flat Oh, so you did actually go with NoteFlight finally? Did you make the decision? 
Yep, we finally did make the decision. Note flight. And I think what the thing that was the kind of the tipping point was the fact that you can um, record audio into note flight files. So we're going to play around with it and see what happens. Awesome. And we can ask John to come on sometime and, and talk about note flight and note flight learn too in the future. Yep. So door goes out. Um, Paul and I both watched parts. They did a big, it was a two hour introduction to Dorico last night that was live streamed on YouTube across the internet and I picked up parts of it and watched you know segments at a time to see what it can do I think Paul you did the same thing right I did I fell asleep trying to listen to it (laughs) but it was good stuff it was really interesting to watch all that it really they really did try to take a spin of making it intuitive and fast and easy to use and powerful and it's the, and what I was just telling Paul is it's kind of like they borrowed some ideas from Notion. And I guess the truth is whenever you make a product, you're going to walk into the territory of somebody somewhere. Right. But, you know, the easy keystrokes to remember. So if you want to enter a, a meter, I think it was Alt-M. And if you want to enter a key signature, it's Alt-K and things like that, which makes it very intuitive. And then kind of some neat ideas where you can't change a note without intentionally changing notes. So you had to hit the alt key to change things and, you know, kind of locking things down so you don't accidentally delete or change notes on a score. That was kind of a new thing too. Right. I know listening to Daniel Spreadbury, you know, when he was talking about all the ideas and thoughts that went into this stuff is they're well-versed in the other apps for notation and they tried to do things different with this one. They tried to find better ways to do stuff. And one thing that really resonated with me was the keystrokes, the, the um, doing, you can do everything right from your computer keyboard if you want to. And it was just as easy to hook up a, a MIDI keyboard too, but you don't need it. Well, like they, who was that that performed last night? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, they had an orchestra that they wrote something on Dorico and then published it for the orchestra to play right on the stage. Yeah, and the guy wrote it on an airplane, I think. Yeah, you know, no. and it's it's interesting. So Dorico kind of goes into that territory. It's like taking Finale, Sibelius, Notion, and then um, StaffPad, you know, on Windows platform, putting in a blender, and that's kind of what you get in a whole new package. And they've they've had a mindset, I mean, if people aren't aware, where they've been, Daniel Spreadbury has been directing the idea of a universal music font uh, in, involving getting music XML into a... Um, not owned by smart or uh, by Make Music any longer, but part of the World Wide Web Consortium, and and just they're, they're on the cutting edge with a whole bunch of things. So the product is going to be really good. Now, what's really cool is that they were also very honest about where it's not good yet, and they said right towards the end, they said playback is not what we want it to be yet, but it will get there. Yeah, I would highly suggest people go follow Daniel Spreadbury on um, Twitter. Because he's sending out lots of information about it. Go to um, the Dorico website and and look at that stuff and look and see what they're offering. Because I think at some point I'll probably buy it. I think, yeah, I, I probably am in the same boat too. If Especially if they ever go mobile, you know, with a mobile device and a mobile app, then they'll really win me over. Yep. You know, so. That's one of the reasons I'm using Notion right now. Yep. yep. I mean, so it's just, it's been kind of good. Now. Cross topic, Notion. Notion just had a big update and they just released a new upgrade to the upgrade within the last 24 hours or so. And um, the big news about that upgrade is that it includes two things that I know for sure. One is ukulele chords and yours truly actually was part of the force behind that, actually even sending them 
the fingering positions for some of those chords. And um, the other one is handwriting. And Paul, you know, you said that you have been having some issues with that. Yeah, there, you know, when that first came out, the handwriting ability and notion on the iPad, you um, tapped the handwriting tool and then a little line of staff popped up at the bottom of the screen. And that's where you hand wrote everything in. And it, it was really very accurate, very well done. Um, you know, I just, for the fun of it, did an entire band score in it for middle school beginning bands. And um, it worked really super well. Now the update is to allow you to write anywhere in the, on the page that you want, anywhere on the iPad that you want. So you can zoom in, which is one of the things that they suggest right now is you zoom in and then write on the iPad in any place, not just at the bottom. The problem is right now with ledger lines, it's not working consistently. And we let them know that like as soon as that update came out, man, they got to work. They released another update within days and it helped, but it's still having issues with the handwriting above and below the staff both. You know, like I'll go to draw a C or a B below the staff. Sometimes it works, especially with the with the latest update. Sometimes it actually works now. Other times it changes like a, a low B to a D. Sometimes it just disappears. So there are still issues. So if you rely on the handwriting capability in Notion, you might want to hold off on the update. And I didn't even know about the the problems with that because generally I just leave the handwriting for the final steps of like articulations and things and slurs because that's so much faster to, to put in those than to click and, and do the other things. So yeah, it's it's interesting. They'll keep working on it and they're you know they're by no means thinking that they've got every problem in the world solved either. They're very humble people, I've noticed. Oh, they're awesome. And, you know, again, we're back to this, the social media stuff. Where do you connect with these people? If you're on Facebook, there's a Notion um, Facebook group. And um, some of the developers are active in that group. So if you're a Notion user for iPad or the desktop, get into that group in, in uh, Facebook. So Notion is kind of out there with an update. And then um, I was just going to mention there's two apps that I saw that, that were interesting. One is I got an email from Sheet Music Plus the other day. And they are discontinuing their iPad app. And I just say, thank goodness. My my big fear with, with digital music has been what actually has happened, where every publisher is going to make their own app and expect you to use their app, which makes using digital music in a classroom dead upon arrival. It does. Oh. It's it's no good. No good at all. So if, if, you know, if every kid has an iPad like they do in my classroom, if they're all just simply you know, having to switch apps and it's hard enough to get them to stay in one app anyway. And again, there's this whole, by the way, we had a wonderful speaker um, before the school year started. And he said something that we, I haven't heard anybody say, but he said this, he said, engagement is the task of the student. And I loved that because so often we look at teachers and say, you're the engagement, it's whatever, but there's a choice there. Students make a choice, and when they have an iPad or they have a Chromebook, and the Chromebooks are going to find this out as Android spreads to all the Chromebooks in the next months, um, they're going to find out the kids have a hard time choosing to stay on the right app. And it doesn't matter whether you're the most engaging teacher in the world or your most boring teacher, like um, uh, was that in Ferris Bueller's Day Off with Eugene Levy? <laughs> you know, right? Um, it, you're not going to you're never going to compete ultimately with an iPad even with your best students at some point. So there are some tools that we don't have yet. Apple Classroom we're waiting for. 
But anyway, just so thankful that Sheet Music Plus is pulling back the app. So now you'll be able to download music and use it on your own device or to access files on the internet is what they said. So I'm very glad about that. And then, and Chris, oh yeah. do you have you used Sheet Music Plus a lot? Not too much, but I've used it enough that I have a few scores. And that's one of the reasons I haven't used it a whole lot is because of the proprietary app that you've had to use in the format. And a lot of times I've had to like, it's it's been for like a request, like a student wants to sing a particular song, so I download it from Sheet Music Plus and then scan it because you have to print it, right? So right. you have to print it out, then I scan it in again, and then I can make a rehearsal file for them to use. So it's been a backwards world with that all the way around. <laughs> I'll just yeah. I'll just say. So I'm just I'm so thankful that that's failing. I, I hate to say that that way, but um, <laughs> there there's got to be a new better way to do this, and we've got to get this fixed faster than sooner. And then the other app is related to that, Gustav G U S T A F. Years ago, they were Neoscores, and they were the first company to do a orchestra performance with tablets. And it was the Belgium Philharmonic or, or something like that using Samsung devices. And it was really a, a PR movement by Samsung more than anything else. And uh, so Neoscores is a way to put PDFs and music XMLs in a digital format so that you can access them on any device. But it didn't always work so well. Well, they sent out an email not too long ago announcing that they have a iPad app now. So on yet another app like Incredibox and um, uh, what's the um, the Google uh, DAW? Is it the Soundtrap? Soundtrap. There you go. Soundtrap with its now iPad version. And of course, years ago, Smart Music, but they you know they they preceded that on the iPad before they went to like a Chromebook friendly answer. But anyhow, Gustav is out there with an iPad app now. And if you can go and check it out, I think there's a free trial and you can see what it can do. And they also are offering now like an advanced library where you can have access to everything. The problem I always had with Gustav is how to share files with other people or with students. The idea is good, but the practicality was rough, you know? Right. And I'm looking here on Gustav's website. It looks like they like they would like you to do like a subscription thing. So I see like the pricing is like five dollars a month or something. Yep, there's a free tier though too. I think isn't right. there? Right. Yep, there is a free tier. What's the difference? Well, the 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 when you have a subscription, it allows you to store more scores online and and things like that. All right. So I don't know. It's it's just worth checking out. Just like um, I was working with uh, North Central University, they had me come in and talk to the music ed class, and I think I put them all to sleep. And um, <laughs> they, they, I was telling them about flat IO because they hadn't heard about flat.io, and so they, they all just kind of wrote it down really quickly. And then the next session, I asked if anybody had actually done anything with it, and they all are like, "Nope." So you know, it's just another thing you can try. So it's. Bring it to your attention. Hey, engagement is the responsibility of the students. It is. It <laughs> totally is, isn't it? It's totally true. Yeah. Um, now, granted, that means you know, you as a teacher you don't want to necessarily be boring, but I think there's a danger in thinking that you have to be the Jerry Lee, you know, Jerry Lewis, or, or, and that's that's skewing really old now, right? <laughs> well, um, we won't say how old, but yeah, I mean, who would we say um, in terms of modern comedian? Not even Robin Williams, right? Yeah. Um, Eddie Murphy, well, you can't say Eddie Murphy, really. He hasn't done anything That's, funny in years, no. right? So, um, 
we're not we're not with the current culture, Chris. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Alec Baldwin with SNL skits, right? Oh Something gosh. like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's kind of what I've been talking about. Now, um, Paul, you had some what what at least one app that's on sale that you maybe wanted to to bring to people's attention. Well, it always kind of surprises me about how many musicians, music teachers, music uh, music educators are out there that don't use their iPads for music creation. I mean, even in, in our discussion with Aaron, uh, the Unreal Book uh, developer, he uses his iPad to read PDFs, music. But he said that's about all he's using it for. And there's so many apps out there that you can create music with. And um, if you're not doing that yet, here's a good chance for you to do it. Um, Sample Tank by IK Multimedia is on sale right now. It's usually like a $20 app, and right now it's $2. So it's kind of a no-brainer, especially if you've got um, a MIDI keyboard you can hook up to your um, iPad, or if you've got some MIDI files you've already recorded and such that you can play with it. For $2, that's easy, easy price. Even at the 20 bucks, it's well worth it, but for 2 bucks, it's a no-brainer. Do you know what the memory hit is for that app? Oh, yeah, that, that's... It's a little bit bigger. So if you got like a 16 gigabyte iPad, that's not good. Um, 1.63 gigabytes. Wow, you looked that up really fast. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. Wow. Um, yeah, because then like people ask me about Notion. It's like, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> yep. if, you, if you hear the sounds, that's a big one. You know, and, that, and again, sometimes we forget that. I've got the 64 gigabyte iPad. No, I've got the 128, and you've got the 256, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. So we... We forget about the problems of the people with the smaller, you know, iPads, but that's something to be aware of. It is. Yep. And when you're buying it for yourself, we bought a couple of 16 gigabytes for our daughters. And I really, I apologize to them frequently for doing that now, <laughs> you know, and we're like for your classroom, do you, you know, my tech department, when we bought our three iPads for our classroom here, they're like, you don't need the 128 gigabyte iPads. I'm like, yes, we do, because we're going to do multimedia things. We're going to put things like Sample Tank and Notion on it. And yeah, as a music department, you need lots of space. Our, sc our school used to have the 16 giggers, and when we upgraded this year to iPad Air 2, there's 64, and that's just so nice. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's so nice. So yeah, so Sample Tank is $2. Sounds like I, I need to go download it because I don't have that one yet. Yeah. It's kind of it's a lot of fun, and they, it was just updated just a little while ago, like October third, and uh, brought it up to version two, and added the ability to play like eight different parts, and so some nice updates there, and it's got good sounds. It's all your basic sounds you'd ever want. That's fantastic. So thanks, Paul. I mean, thanks for keeping your eye out that. And by the way, if you don't follow Paul's web website, his blog, iPadMusicEd.wordpress.com, right? That's it, isn't it, Correct. Paul? Yep. Um, you should be following that because he does a really good job of posting um, apps that are on sale, and uh, he does that quite frequently, so that's that's good. We also wanted to talk about tips, and one of the things that Paul and I were just talking about was uh, classroom management and getting kids' attention, and uh, I think we both talked about it. I am not, I try to avoid like crazy the um, kind of what people normally think is elementary techniques of you know, counting down from five 
or saying, and a hush fell over the room, and then the choir class says hush, or, or whatever it might be. But um, today with ukuleles, I just came across a tip, and, and it worked, and I'm just going to share it. And Paul had some too with this, where I just, at, after the, a song with the ukuleles, I said, okay, raise your strumming hand. And they all happily raised their strumming hand, and suddenly there was silence in the room. Whereas if I don't do that, there's always somebody noodling around. So um, that's the little tip is... Don't be afraid to use that. By the way, I've also used Solfege because, again, we're using that S-cube method by Dale Duncan, and every day there's a forbidden pattern. But I've actually gone in between, and I'll sing a, a Solfege pattern. So I'll go, do, mi, do. And then even if the kids are talking, they'll stop, and they'll sign and sing, do, mi, do, back to me. And uh, that can get them back on track, too. So a, a little tip there. Paul, you had some other related ones with that. Um, like my fifth grade band, you know, I've got 40, 45 kids in there this year. And if they're not paying attention and they get off task, they're talking all that stuff, sometimes I'll just stand up front and raise my hand. And I used to hate that when I saw that happen like in the, in the cafeteria and stuff. But in my band room, it actually works. Um, you know, the kids that aren't paying attention, they look around, they go, oh, why is that kid raising in his hand? And then they brings them on the task real quick. Um, is, there, is there a verbal part to that too? Oh, I just stand up front and raise my hand. Because I've done that and the kids just keep talking. So, I mean, I thought you said something like, if you can see my hand, raise your hand or something like that. Well, I thought you said earlier. And I've done that too. But after teaching for 25 years, I've also learned how to just to stand back for a minute and not do anything and just wait for the kids because they'll respond a lot better, I think, to that moment of silence than me standing there yelling at them. Yeah. I, I mean, I try not to to yell at all. I'm like, got to get my voice to work the entire day. Yep. Another one I've used this year is, um, I'll say, point to the person who's supposed to be talking. <laughs> and that gets them too. Oh, that's really good. You know, because they go, they, they point to the right person almost invariably. And I'm like, oh, so you do know who's supposed to be talking. <laughs> You'll get the one smart aleck though that'll point to themselves, right? Right. And the ones I like, sometimes there's a kid in the back row that was asking a question. And everyone will be pointing at me instead of the kid in the back row. And that, you know, another little gotcha moment. <laughs> Are you yeah, really paying attention? Moment. Yep, yep. Yeah, so we wanted to share a tip like that with you and, and just, you know, with things that, you know, both Paul and I, this is my 22nd year teaching or 21st, one of the two, and Paul's 25, and we're still learning things every day and hope that you are too. Yep. Um, we also wanted to thank our sponsor. This is our first sponsored podcast from Ubercord. Ubercord is a app that is a guitar chord training app. And basically the idea is it's a free app you can download for free. It was rated as from Apple as one of the best new apps of 2016. And it has a, an iWatch or an Apple Watch feature in it as well. Um, but what it does is it gives you real-time feedback as you practice and learn chords. And uh, we're very thankful to them for their sponsorship of our podcast. They help pay the sponsoring so that we can be on SoundCloud Pro for the full year, which means we can upload all of our podcasts and you can listen as much as you want. And uh, we're very, very thankful to them for that. And somewhere down the future, we'll have them on the podcast, not because they sponsor us, but because we've talked to them and they have a great story. So thank you, Ubercord, for for helping us out. Yeah, and I like the fact that it listens to you. You know, it's not just a look up a chord and there's the diagram. It listens to you. 
Yeah, a number of apps that are doing that. And by the way, we've been playing around with um, Music Prodigy because the S-Cubed uh, series has a um, segment in Music Prodigy or for a $100 a year, you can have access to those files for all of your students. And with my you know, nearly 400 students, that allows me to um, one more option to, to use that. But again, another app that's listening to them just like smart music, just like practice first. So kind of fun that all those options are out there. And again, thank you to Ubercord for your sponsorship. Well, with that, we'll probably move to the second part of our uh, podcast here today, where we visit with Aaron Nelson, the developer of Unreal Book, and uh, let you hear that conversation. It's really a good one. I really think you'll enjoy it. Have a good listen, people. Listen all the way to the end. He's got good stuff. of the M-E-N-T podcast uh, with Chris Russell and Paul Shimmons. And today we're very happy to have the developer of Unreal Book, Aaron Nelson, with us. So Aaron, uh, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. <laughs> it's good to have you on the podcast, Aaron. Yep. Well, thanks for um, letting me be in it. So we were just talking uh, for a few seconds. We were, we were conversing and... Um, Aaron, can you tell us a little bit about your background, such as, um, first of all, people may not know that, that you're just an independent developer on the, you know, in the Hawaiian Islands, and talk a little bit about, about your past and how you became a programmer and your music and what you're doing today. Yeah, basically, I was born um, on the Big Island of Hawaii. Um, that's what we call it, the Big Island. And, um, and I got my, um, I got a performance degree in piano. And, and what happened was after that, you know, I was thinking, well, what am I going to do with this um, degree? And I decided, well, maybe I should just study some more. <laughs> so I just happened to be reading like Keyboard Magazine, and they were talking about um, an electroacoustic program in San Jose State that was really cutting edge. And at the same time, they were talking about an article about a keyboard player named Russell Ferrante, who I was really, I love the way he plays, and he plays for this jazz group called the Yellow Jackets. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it happens that he went to San Jose State. So I went, well, maybe something's telling me to go there because I was really into synthesizers, you know, specifically programming them. And so I went over there to get my master's, and when I got to San Jose State, one of the first things they showed me was um, a computer controlling the entire studio. And right then and there, I said, whoa, wait a minute. This computer is controlling everything? And then what they did was they, they had a, their actual, their own music language. It was called Mask. Um, and it was written in fourth. And all of the students had to learn how to program at least a little bit of it. And, um, and I knew that once I started getting, you know, getting the synthesizers controlled via computer, that it was incredibly exciting. So I decided, well, I want to learn how to do this. 
So I just literally sat down and taught myself how to program. Um, I know they were teaching Fort, but Fort wasn't a um, widely used language in the sense that um, you couldn't really use it to write many programs at the time, like commercial programs. But Pascal was um, a language that was known to be easily learned and used to write applications. And at the time, Borland, a computer company that was in um, Santa Cruz, I believe, was really big. Like they were literally contesting Microsoft for development environments. And um, I basically, the internet was really interesting at the time and people would really help each other out. Um, and one of the things was a Turbo Pascal MIDI library. And what I, what I did was teach myself how to learn how to program in Turbo Pascal and control these keyboards. And um, after a while, you know, it just naturally progressed from Turbo Pascal to Object Pascal to C to C++. So I learned all these different languages, um, all with the intent of, you know, either composing with it or controlling keyboards or writing applications. And, um, you know, at some point, I graduated got a job, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, got, well, actually, that was another thing, is that at some point during getting my master's, I literally just stopped, and all I did was program for, like, a couple of years. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, well, certain people were not happy with that. <laughs> who, who, uh, but, mom and dad? Uh, yeah, mom and dad. <laughs> so at some point, you know, at, yeah, at some point, it was like, are you going to finish your degree? And then I had to go back, you know, groveling to my teacher and tell him, you know, I think I need to finish my degree. So, you know, he was, he just gave me a hard time. And, but in the end, I just, I did finish it. And he got me a job with a music notation company. And it was a, um, it was a multinational music notation company. And they made this, it was really cool. They made this ADB keyboard that allowed you to enter notation in really quickly. So basically I became a product specialist and I went to the NAMM show and all those different things and demoed that. And um, that was um, funded by venture capitalists. And after a while, you know, we ran out of money and um, I got a job at Opcode Systems, which was kind of becoming one of the larger music companies. and. Um, I told them, I said, I want a program for opcode systems. And they said, well, you know, we only have a, a, a sales job and maybe tech support. So I started with that. And then eventually I joined the um, engineering team. And um, I, was, I became product manager for this program called Galaxy. And it just basically controlled like 250 different keyboards. Um, and it was pretty exciting because that's exactly what I wanted to do was control keyboards. So, um, you know, that's basically what I did for a while. And at the end, I was um, part of the Studio Vision team, which was the, it was literally the first sequencer that recorded audio and MIDI at the same time. I used it. I'm sad it went away. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I did, I basically, I really did 
just peripheral things at the end. Like I did the twenty, the sixteen to twenty-four bit conversion routines, and um, but mainly I was working on Galaxy because um, I was writing those editors for the keyboard so that you could control them from the computer. And this was all self-taught coding stuff that you've done. Um, yeah, um, yeah, basically. I mean, I did take some programming classes back in um in Hilo, but it was, you know, I don't, I didn't remember any of it, just hardly anything. Yeah, and then what happened was because I was programming in C so much um, at Opcode, um, C and C plus plus. Actually, I just programmed so much, you know, like that's all I did. And I was writing all of these editors that um, at some point, you know, I was away and then, um, you know, my parents are getting older and I was thinking, okay, wait, I might want to go back to Hawaii. So, so, yeah, so I was talking to my cousin and he goes, well, I have this post-production recording studio. You can come back and write music. And I was thinking, well, hmm, I guess I am a musician. <laughs> so I was like, Let, I guess this is my last chance to play music, like actually be a musician rather than more of an engineer. So, um, so I moved back. And, um, and I really didn't hardly program at all for a while. But I never forgot how to program, but I just, just didn't do it. And... Um, and then the iPhone came out. And then I remember telling everybody that um, if, if Apple ever came out with a, a tablet, I'm going to write something. And, um, and what happened was my singer got this. I don't, I don't know if we want to name the product, but it was a very expensive um, tablet. Well, you can. It's not around anymore, so you can name it. Oh, really? I think it was called the Music Pad? Music Pad Pro. Yep. 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 And, and I remember she came to me and she said, look what I got. And I said, what's that? And she goes, oh, it's this. Um, they showed me how to, they showed me it at this show. And, and I said, how much did you pay? And I think she said like 2000 or something. Well, yeah, I don't know. It was really expensive. And then I looked at it. Yeah, we, we bought those. When we opened a new school in 2009. We had to buy all the stuff in 2008 that you're going to do. So we bought one of the pads that's the smaller one for our school that was nine hundred dollars and then the band director bought the director's version that was like fifteen hundred they are really expensive but i remember one thing about it that um the battery only lasted four hours so i was thinking wow that's barely gonna make a gig and then and then she couldn't figure out how to get anything into it so so i was helping her connect it to the computer and, and I remember something weird about it. Like, if you use their files, it looked perfect. But if you use the files that we created, they seemed to be downgraded in quality. And I, I couldn't figure out why. And, and then the last straw was when she came to me and she said that she bought these upgrades. And uh, one of the upgrades was that it could play audio files. And I remember looking at it and, and I... It was a shareware audiophile player, but she had paid money for it or something. I, it was either free oh, or man. yeah. And I remember, and I said, "Well, how much did you pay?" And she told me, and I went, "Oh, that's crazy." So then I, I was more determined than ever. I said, "Okay, look, if Apple makes a tablet, I'm gonna 
write something like this because I need it. And um, and then as soon as you know, I told everybody about it. You know, no, obviously nobody believed me, right? Because <laughs> nobody knew I had a background in programming. So, yeah. So then um, they went, well, you know, it needs to do this and it needs to do this. So as soon as the iPad came out, I looked at it and and it looked fairly easy to program. So um, you know, compared to what I was dealing with before. Um, and and I know that Fourscore was out there at the time, but I it couldn't do something that I really needed to do. Like I can't remember. Maybe it, it didn't even have set lists at the time. So um, I think that um, the set list function and uh, something like hotspots or one of those things were the, were the things that I really needed on stage. So. You know, that, that's how it all started. So how long did you take off from programming before you got back into the iPad programs? Wow. You know, do you know when the iPad came out? 2010. 2010. And I moved back about 1997 or 98. Oh, my gosh. So you were out of it for a long yeah. time. Was it pretty easy to pick up for you? Well... For programming? Well, I couldn't believe how easy Objective-C was. I mean, I feel totally bummed that they, you know, they decided that Objective-C was no good and now we have to go to Swift. <laughs> because, I mean, Objective-C to me was kind of like what C should have been. It was, it was so easy. I mean, I was amazed at how easy it was. And, um, and you know, people don't give Apple credit enough because their libraries are incredible. Like... Like, okay, so I want to support PDF. Boom, it's right there. PDF support. Now, it may not be the best PDF support, but it's supporting PDF right off the bat. And um, and some of my friends went to Apple, and they're on the core MIDI team, like core audio, actually. So um, that whole MIDI, you know, have you ever seen the audio MIDI, MIDI setup in, um, on OS X? I mean that that was I know where that came from. That's my friend. Like I can see his work in and out and um so I know that the people that are working at Apple I mean they really care about music. That's that's why you know I'll always defend Apple on that point because that's why they have the good latency. That's why the the music programs work because they really care. And if you go and look at um you know, I have nothing against Android. I have Android phones and everything. But they're a little bit behind in terms of getting the latency down, the audio working, you know, getting everything seamless. And I think it was only the last operating system, maybe one operating system um, versions ago that they put PDF support in. Like native Oh, really? In, in yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. That... that opens your eyes like you go wow okay they finally put it in and and their support is interesting because it basically takes the pdf and turns it into a picture <laughs> well no you can work with that so well i suppose but wow it's just seems odd i know i think i, I can't remember <laughs> the name of the operating system but it's um you know because they have all these code names 
but I remember it was it's only like one or two um, operating systems ago. So I I tried to make you know a little tiny thing just for fun, and um. But yeah, I mean you know. Did you come up with anything useful? Um, well, I just wrote a couple of programs on Android because um, just to try and learn it. Um, we were trying to write a little. Um, over here we wrote a little tip calculator. It's like a fun tip calculator, like where you can kind of rate people, uprate or down, you know, do upvote or downvote um, the service, or and then it kind of calculates the tip based on that. And then um, okay, and then. You know, we're writing, um, just kind of having fun and writing like a little quiz game, like if you're, you know, locally from Hawaii. So that's like a side thing that that um, some of my friends and I do. But for music stuff, it's just not up to par yet. Um, it's getting there, but not quite yet. See, the interesting part for me is I've always wondered why, you know, the PDF music readers that are out there for Android really aren't the greatest and i think you just answered that with with one statement about the fact that they didn't even have a embedded pdf system viewer in their what do they call that the library right of, of their code right right so you basically have to buy a third-party library and um i don't know they're fairly expensive right now i think i think i checked on one and it was about a thousand dollars which is not that much but i mean kind of a lot but um, apple gives it to you for free right right now do you still get a lot of requests for unreal book to port over to android or anything like that i get some requests but um i'm not really that interested yet until they make something that will that's different from the ipad because i mean um you know secondhand ipads can be gotten you know for reasonable prices and um and you know a lot of the Android tablets are 16 by 9, I believe. And what happens is that you know in order to show everything at the correct aspect ratio, then you have a lot of wasted space. But I did, but I did look. I think that um, there are a few that are um, exactly like the iPad. I think what is that four by three? Yeah, the five four by three aspect. Yep. Yeah. I think there are maybe, um, I think Samsung came out with one, and there's another one, oh, I can't, maybe Lenovo has, has another one. It's called something like the A, something the Tab 10 or... It's hard keeping track of what all these things are called. <laughs> and, and you never know when one will explode either, so... <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that... I, I have no idea what's causing that, but I have to think that it has something to do with fast charging. Oh, I bet. Because, um, yeah, because you think about it, um, they're basically trying to charge that battery as fast as it can go. And I bet you that's when something is happening, but I have no idea. Well, that's right. You have an engineering background on that, too, don't you? So you're looking at that as an engineer a little bit, too. Yeah, it'll be interesting because think about it. The new Google um, phone has extremely fast charging. So I think that they're talking about um, 15 minutes for the whole day. Oh, my um, goodness. So that'll be interesting because um, they brought out their own, their own line of phones. Yeah, the Google Pixel, right? Yep, yep, yeah. And that that's interesting in itself, you know, how that's going to um, play out. 
especially yeah. with Samsung. <laughs> and then they got Samsung's biggest rival to create it, which is HTC. So, Aaron, how much time do you spend programming a day, or how much of your day is spent dealing with Unreal Book sort of, you know, like user questions, comments, support, that sort of stuff? Well, it's interesting. At the beginning, it was, I had a lot of questions. But, um, you know, I took the time to take practically every, you know, important question and put it in the, um, the put it on the web for the f uh, frequently asked questions. So after a while, it's, it's more like you can find the answer here already, you know, because people are asking pretty much the same questions. So I don't, I don't have to spend that much time on, um, you know, holding hands with anybody. They seem to be able to figure it out quite fast. That's one of the things I like about these about your app is it's not that hard to get into it, find a PDF, put it in there, and start using it. Well, somebody came to me and he and he said, you know what? Thank you for not changing it that much, and and because he said I'm sick and tired of you know every time somebody updates something, they completely change the way we work with it, and I remember thinking, oh yeah, I remember that, you know. Um, you know, I don't want to talk bad about anything, but Apple Music has been changing a lot <laughs> between every version. Yes. And and my friends are, they seem to be very upset about it. Like for me, it doesn't bother me that much. You know, I'll, I'll just, okay, well, that's hidden somewhere. I'm just going to have to figure it out. But um, I don't know. I, I'm amazed that it seems to really bother people when you move something. It does. Like just literally, yeah. I mean, I'm amazed. And I'll... I'll, yeah, I'll admit, I get annoyed with it, too, because it's called muscle memory. You know, you, you go reaching and tapping for things in certain spots, and when it gets moved, it's like, oh, man, i got to relearn something. And I'm fairly technical literate, you know? Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, and, um, you know, there's another aspect, too, is um, it's really interesting. Um, on the App Store, let's say the program is getting all of these great reviews. Now, when I update it, all the reviews are gone. I mean, from, in other words, the current version reviews get archived into the, the overall pool of re reviews. So what happens is that any time I update it, the sales drop dramatically because, because there's no reviews. If somebody goes and looks at it, they go, wow. Okay, well, uh, this program has a high rating, but they don't see any reviews. So, I mean, that's, I don't blame that's them. That's interesting. You know? Yeah, I don't blame the user because they go, hmm, wonder if I should buy this thing. And then, yes, they can go and tap the, I, I don't know what it's called, like the all reviews or all previous versions, and then they can see the, um, the reviews. But... Um, Every time you update it, it clears that whole window. And um, I talked to Apple about it. I mean, you know, I sent um, some suggestions in, but I don't know. Well, and does that go back to what we were just talking about? Is when some of these apps get um, updated, they change them so much. I wonder if Apple's trying to give people a way to see, oh, man, for this version, it is not well-received. Right. I Yeah. I think that's probably what it is. Do you have a video um, going, Aaron, with your app? So when people pull up 
the you know the they search it on the app store do you have a video embedded in yours no i haven't made a video yet i i thought about it how hard is that to do um i couldn't imagine that it's too hard i mean because you know especially now i think we can just connect our ipad to the computer then open quicktime and then we can just do right. whatever we want i guess i should do it because think about it um that's what i do um for my day job i write custom music for commercials so I could, I mean, literally, I could just record, you know what I mean? Like, like record opening a file or doing this and that. And then I could write some kind of crazy music for the background. I mean, I guess, because that's what I do. <laughs> I watch those videos a lot. Oh, really? Okay. Nice. Yeah. Wait yeah. till you hear the, the crazy cinematic one I'll write then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, no, no. Okay, I'll have to start it with ukulele. Yes, you do. You and, have uh, to start it with the yeah. ukulele. Okay, yeah, yes. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll have different versions, like the ukulele Hawaii one, and then, yeah, and then the big cinematic one, and then I guess I can change it out when necessary. And, <laughs> and Paul, I don't know if you know this, but um, Aaron and I were talking, you know, just arranging, getting together for this this discussion, and um, it turns out, you know, and, and Aaron knows now that I've kind of fallen in love with ukulele and stuff, but... Um, Turns out that he knows the people that that own the Kamaka ukulele brand, which is like the grandfather of all brands, selling its hundredth year. He he he's played with. How do you say your name, Brittany? Is it Pavia? Pavia? Oh oh, Paiva. Paiva. Brittany Paiva, yep. who's one of the big ukulele players that's out there, and he's he's gigging with these people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. She got voted. I think she just got voted. Uh, one of the top 40 female musicians or something just recently, like, like yesterday. Wow. I think she posted something. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, Brittany is backed by, um, Tom Scott. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a big time LA, uh, saxophone player, play with everybody. And, um, yeah, he, he produces her albums. See, and that's why I like your Unreal book because you're, a gigging musician who's writing an app that you use. Right, right. Um, yeah, and then, you know, if there's if there's like a nagging problem, then I'll probably fix it because I'll deal with it on stage. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll be like, okay, that's the worst part is like, I'll see something right and go, oh, this is really irritating. And then, then I'll go, <laughs> darn it, now I'm the... The problem is that I can't go and write that person right and tell them, hey, you know, you really need to fix this, but I have to go home and fix it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how it was. I'll play a gig and then I'll go, man, that's irritating. So then I'll go home and then I'll put in code like, I mean, just all kinds of interesting code that I put in. Um, I don't know why, but at the beginning, I found out that I was, I had a tendency when I was nervous to like tap twice. Mm-hmm. And, and it drove me nuts. I was like, why am I tapping this thing twice? I, I don't even know why I'm doing it. And then I realized that, you know, I need to put in code to stop that, that weird double tap. And, um, and it was all these different things that, you know, people don't think about. But, but when you're playing live, it's occurring, you know, and you need to fix these things or else it's going to drive somebody else nuts. And you know what? Um, you were talking about doing stuff live, even Apple's like finger ID stuff for me, when I'm performing live, 
it's not reliable. It drives me nuts. So, yeah, when you're in the heat of the moment, things change. Things change. No, I was just going to ask you, when you're talking tapping twice, you're talking about changing pages, right? And that's what you're talking about, like, in performance is tapping twice on a for a page turn. Right. I don't know. I don't, yeah, on a page turn at the beginning, I don't know why I was doing that, but it did happen, and um, and yeah, I, I don't know. It was really weird. All of these different things, and you know, just interacting with the program. I was doing the same thing, so it wasn't just you, because as soon as you put that and implemented that, I turned it on myself. So, but. Like I was saying, you know, the program has been around for so long now, and I've I've used it, you know, in men, in different countries and everything, and it's worked well for me. It's fairly simple to use. It's not the simplest program. I mean, it could probably be more simple, but um, you know, for right now, it's 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 a good tool. Actually, one of the things I tell users is if they're looking for the simple, reliable tool, it's Next Page, and if they're looking for the apps that have pretty much anything you could ever want it would be unreal book and fourscore those and the funny thing is that all the other platforms i don't care whether you're talking mac pc android chromebook there's nothing like unreal book or fourscore on either or any of those other devices so we're so lucky to have so many good programs when you're when you're programming or stuff or when you're talking about unreal book what are the things that you sell to others? I mean, you don't do much in sales right now, but if you, somebody is to ask you, why should I choose Unreal Book? What would what would your response be? Mm, I just ba basically tell them that, you know, I am a professional musician and I need a tool that will work on stage. And um, the bottom line is this, this program has worked on stage for so many different people for years now. I mean, it's, I mean, if you need something that's going to work, it works. Well, you know, they're using it on the Billy Joe tour. Oh, that's so, awesome. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, um, the keyboard player, David Rosenthal, is using it to control his entire um, uh, MIDI rig. Oh, I, see, I was going to ask you about that. Some of that work that you did with Galaxy and Opcode, you kind of put that inside of Unreal Book, too, right? Being able to change things. Yeah, I, I put, I put, yeah. I mean, I remember at the beginning when I put it in, I was, I had it in my mind, but I mean, I was just like, well, you know, this thing needs to have some MIDI. <laughs> so I just, I put it in. But you know, it's weird. You know, when you do these things, it's like, it's so weird that you don't get that much feedback. So I'll put it in and I'll be like, okay, great. And then um, maybe months later, somebody will, write me and go, hey, how do I change the patches on this? And I'll go, oh, okay, great. Somebody's using it. You know, it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, um, I guess I could start a, um, a forum. I could make one. Um, that's another thing. I have this forum. It's called D DIYstompboxes.com. And um, it's a huge forum for um, how to build your own guitar pedals. It's kind of like when I get into something, then I really get into it. And then I'll do something like that. Like, like for example, you know, I was trying to build this little circuit. And I went, um, well, I have no idea how to do this. And my friend said, hey, it's only 10 parts. I bet you can figure it out. So, so I went, well, yeah, it seems there's only 10 parts. <laughs> so then 
just like how I taught myself um, programming, um, because of the help of people on the internet, I taught myself rudimentary analog electronics. And from that, I realized if I can build a guitar pedal, anybody can. You could, anybody can. And um, so I decided to start a little forum, and it became huge. It's like one of the um, biggest um, forums for information on how to build and modify guitar pedals. Wow. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, if you, do any of you play guitar? I do not. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, if you go to the music store, there's a ton of the, what they call boutique um, guitar pedals. And basically it means it's made by, you know, one or two person operation. And a lot of that is traced down to a very few number of um, websites. And, um, and I'm lucky enough that those guys were on, you know, they started it. I, I made a website. They came to my website and they really helped everybody out. And it became, it exploded. And, and I'm not saying that I created that thing. I didn't. Um, but it was instrumental in starting a lot of um, the boutique things that you see due to the help of the people in the forum. Right. Wow. So, yeah, it's great. You know, it's great to walk around and go, wow, you know, certain technologies that are being used in the pedals um, can, are definitely traced to the people in that forum, you know. It's amazing. It's nice being able to find those places where those people congregate and talk about stuff like that and throw ideas around. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because um, I was telling Chris that in the very, very early days, the internet went, I mean, I'm talking really early when I think everybody was on this um, service called Portal, and you could talk to people from different countries and everything. Um, But it was weird. Everybody seemed to just want to help each other out a lot as opposed to talking about each other and, <laughs> and, doing, and doing the social media thing. And um, I wanted to have a forum where it was just like the old days where you know people are going there to learn and help out. And, and I attracted that kind of people, like incredible, smart, genius people. And for some reason, they wake up, they do their job, they go home, and they want to help out other people. And it's so awesome. I mean, it's, you know, I go on there, and, and the same guys from years and years and years are still on there helping everybody, you know, every day, every night. It's amazing. That's cool. Yeah. I've, I've I mean, actually you know, seen, yeah, yeah. I've seen a similar thing with Ukulele Underground. actually does the same kind of thing. There's a huge forum there that does the same thing, people helping each other with that entire world of ukulele so that's pretty cool i know it's great yeah it's great so you know and and that kind of um you know thing really helps people out because you know if you wanted to um change something on your ukulele preamp or something you could you could do simple mods to make it sound different or to improve the tone or um even simple things like changing the jacks and things like that so, Aaron, would you be ever consider making a forum for Unreal Book or for PDF music readers in general or something like that? 
I thought about it, but um, then the only thing is that, okay, this is what personally myself I don't like is when I see some uh, support, like what looks like a support forum, and the first thing you see in the top is it says, this is an unofficial forum, and um, the company doesn't really check, you know, check in regularly. Please use the other method to contact them. I just mm-hmm. saw that the other day, <coughs> and I went, oh, man, you know, like, it's great because the people get to try and help each other, but at the same time, you know, if you're not going to man it or really moderate it, then I don't know. I don't know how much use it really is because there's all these other places, right, that they could go and ask, you know, for, you know, to meet like-minded people. I'm not so sure. I don't know if there is, though. With I mean, I mean, Paul and I can both attest to this, that when we go around and we talk about these apps, um, in music education at least, people don't know. They still don't oh, really? know. Oh, no. I mean, y- you can talk about Unreal Book or Foursquare for the first time, and people are downloading it as you talk about these apps at the conventions. Yeah. They don't know. I'm, so, I'm flabbergasted. This summer and this fall is the first time where I've actually seen a lot of people using an iPad and they're performing and, and trying to learn music. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. So I don't, know, I don't know if there is a forum for people that want help. I mean, there's my blog, Paul's blog. There's, of course, your FAC. Um, you know, I, even, I mean, Fourscore has its own help sequence, you know, kind of deal. But I don't know. I don't know where people go to, to get help that just need it explained in sometimes more personal plain English. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a pretty active, like, iPad musicians group. But it's not like the PDF sheet music reader sort of thing. It's people that want to use music apps to create music. But like Chris was saying, for people that want to read music, put PDFs on their iPads, and you read it. I don't. Yeah. I mean, it's every now and then I run across the blog. And looking back over my blog post, the most frequently visited blog post is the one where I talked about scanning music in put it on your on your um ipad you know aaron too have you i've I've got a bunch of other questions and you know we're already i don't know 30 minutes in here or so but um do you get any flack from music publishers or does anybody ever give you any grief about copyright issues or do, do you get to avoid that discussion for most people um i've never gotten contacted by anybody and i know you're not providing any content but at the same time you know, I, that's the number one question I get at conferences. What about copyright? What about copyright? What about copyright? And, um, it's, it's a tricky question. There's no, there's, there, there's a black and white answer. Um, unfortunately there's no gray in, in the real legal world, but at the same time, these publishers aren't making music available, um, at an effective price if it is available to use in a digital method, which is so far better. I mean, if you've ever done a vocal book, you know, voice teachers all over the world, their their pages turn in a voice book and you lose your spot and everything else. And that's just eliminated instantly with an Unreal book or a PDF music reader. So it's just, it's so practical and the, the, the process is not made. That's the funny part. It's no easier today to get a PDF from a publisher than it was when the iPad came out in 2010. And that's just ridiculous. It just It's just where we're at. 
I know. I think a lot of those publishers are try. They are trying or have tried to create their own proprietary format, and it does. Ju- that just does not work. I guess um, you know most of my music. In fact, almost all. I, I either write it out myself or um, the band leader writes it in hand with um, pencil and then um, or pen, and then we use. Um, you know, one of those scanning programs to turn it into PDF. So that's my workflow is that um, I'll either be on the gig and then I'll just um, take a snapshot, convert it to PDF, and then um, load it. Or, you know, I'm using um, one of my music notation programs and I just export to PDF. So what what music notation programs do you use, Aaron, in, in your workflow? Which ones pop up on your screen? Mm. I mainly use um, Sibelius, and I use uh, Notion on the iPad, which seems to work, like, amazingly well, like, for the simple things I do. So, on Notion on iPad, have you guys tried using the handwriting portion of it? I have, um, and it and it works. It work, Actually, it works pretty well, but... Um, I, like anything, if you make a mistake, then you know it. Um, it can get a little bit confused sometimes. You know, I mean, to correct things, but, but I mean, you know, it works. It actually works better than you think. I just was wondering because you said, yeah, well, and you get you said that you guys handwrite a lot of stuff out. So, um, I'm I'm surprised that you said that you handwrite a lot of stuff with the ability to do like Sibelius and all that. Well. Um, some of the players that I, well, I don't do it. I don't handwrite, but, um, my friends that I play with, they're a little bit older than me, but they're, they're amazing in terms of, um, the calligraphy when they write music. It's, it's just, I've never seen anything like it, like to write out, transpose and write out parts and not make any mistakes. It's, it's kind of, um, amazing to me that they wouldn't make mistakes, you know, but, um, but they can do it. And the charts come out really readable, so um, they translate very well to the um, PDF and the iPad. What are you using to take a picture of that with on your iPad? Which app? Oh, for me, for years, it's been um, JotNot. I know that there's way better programs, but I've just used that for years. And, you know, that's another thing. <laughs> I'm going to put it, something out to the to the publishers. You know... When people write me, I try to write back to every single person. Like, if if you didn't get a response from me, that means that your your email bounced or something happened because I write to everybody that writes to me. But, for example, like, I don't want to talk bad about Jotnot because I use it, but I've written to them how many times? I said, you know, hey, it would be nice if we could, like, either, I don't know, partner up or recommend each other's programs we're so compatible and i just never get a response back it's like but but it's not only them it's i I try to write to a lot of other you know companies just to give them feedback or let them know i really love their program and it would just be nice every now and then to get a response back it would be um have you tried (laughs) try try uh, tweeting them i found that when i tweet companies they get oh, back really? to me really fast. Yeah, but that's kind of like putting it out in the open and forcing them <laughs> to respond. <laughs> it, 
It is. I think that's why they do respond so well, fast. Well, yeah, I know, but I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's just a little thing that, um, it's just these little things, you know, that sometimes I'll write to this guy and I'll go, you know, this program is so great. You know, this thing that you created. Um, and, and I'll say, you know, this part is great or something. And it's so weird to just not get any response back. I mean, speaking of response, Aaron, again, I publicly, I'm going to say this again, which is, you know, early on I was reviewing, you know, apps and I was really harsh on Unreal Book at one point and you were kind enough to not just get ticked off. You might've gotten ticked off, but you wrote back to me and you just said that really hurts. I mean, I was even like critical of the icon, which it turns out your daughter had drawn. Oh, right. And, <laughs> and Oh, did that ever make me feel like a heel? And that changed my perspective on a lot of things in a really short amount of time was the fact that you didn't come back and attack me. You just said, ouch, that hurts. But you know what? I'm going to take these things. I'm going to improve upon them. And that that opened my eyes because, I mean, we were so used to just music conglomerates making these apps. And here you are, a guy just making it at home, a guy that has a day job. You've got a gigging job. You've got a family you're enjoying the wonderful weather in Hawaii when Paul and I are in Michigan and Minnesota. Um, <laughs> we only partially hate you for that, so trust me. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, thank you for your, I mean, you were kind and thoughtful in your response. I mean, it was just a class act response. And I don't think I was trying to be outwardly mean, but ever since then, I've tempered everything I've said because I don't want to hurt anybody, and I certainly want to hurt you. And Oh, right. And I just wish you that. I mean, I just I hope that like literally with the sales of Unreal Book, you're able to pay off your house early, you know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I just I know it's not that many sales, but, you know, so I don't know. I just want to thank you for your response. So in, in talking about responding, you're just a class act in terms of how to respond too. Yep. Oh, That's one of the reasons I use Real Unreal Book is because. You talk to us, man. It's it's nice. It's very much appreciated. Well, I like I like to have feedback, and um, you know, sometimes it's you know, I live in Hawaii, and um, it's not like you know when I was in Silicon Valley when I was just you know um had a group of unbelievable genius guys that I was working with. You know, I'm by myself, and um, yeah, sometimes it gets a little bit um. You know, it gets lonely because you're kind of just stuck by yourself and there's nobody to feed off of. So, you know, I can't, yep. it's not like before where I would go, hey, you know, I can't make this thing work. Can you look at this? And then my friend would look at it and go, oh, you need to do this. Now it's like, you know, just even though you have the Internet, it's um, it's still not the same like as talking to somebody and, you know, just just talking about things you know right do you yeah. often pull up a competitor's product just to see what they're doing or you just kind of ignore what they're doing um at the beginning i used to look at it a lot and you know do things but then i realized that there's no way i can keep up with some of the um some of those guys because they're just flying in features and and they have a ton of programmers i don't know how many they have but um a lot of these guys I don't know where they get their backing from, but, um, you know, I think it's their full-time job is to um, write that software. I'm not sure. but um, I think you're right. Yeah, it could be. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, Unreal Book does, you know, does fine. 
but it's not enough for me to quit my job or anything, you know, or stop playing music, which I probably wouldn't do anyway. Right. I was going to say, is anything enough to make you do that? <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, probably, probably not. I don't know if, if Apple called me and said they're going to pay me an incredible amount of money and maybe. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'd, I'd like to have you go there and join the garage band team and, and straighten out the goofy things that are still they've they fixed so many things, but you still can't set a song with like different tempo changes in GarageBand, you know, on iOS. Or so wow. yes, I mean you're stuck at a song that's at 120 beats per minute. I mean you can change that, but you can't change sections of a song. You can't slow down, speed up. You know, I think you can do some of that in Logic maybe, but man. Oh yeah, you can. Yeah, it's just that's too light still for for something that's so mature. I was going to ask Aaron, too, like Apple Pencil, how have you integrated that? I don't have an Apple Pencil. I don't have a an iPad that's fast enough. What are you doing with Apple Pencil and, and Unreal Book? Um, the only things I did with Apple Pencil is that, um, okay, so it's easier to notate things because all you have to do is take the pencil and touch it to the screen, and it jumps into um, edit mode. And then you can just start drawing. And, um, and what I put in is... Um, basically pressure sensitivity so you can have a little bit better um you know the lines get thicker if you press harder and um and i put in whatever apple had for um they have this predictive technology so what it does is um it kind of knows believe it or not if you're drawing a curve it knows that you're I intending to draw a curve and it'll predict ahead of time and um, so I put all of that technology in, in terms of the Apple Pencil. And um, it's easy, it's really easy to use. It's totally great. The only thing about the Apple Pencil is that it's a Bluetooth device and it charges via the lightning port. And what happens is that you can charge it, but let's say you're like most people and you know you, maybe you um, don't use it for, I don't know, a few days. Then you go back, it's it's dead. <laughs> because it never turns off. Oh, really? So what you have, yeah, it never turns off. So it's always discharging. So unfortunately, if you don't use it all the time, it's usually dead when you want to use it. So you need to plug it in. And I know they say that you can just plug it in for 15 seconds, but um, I've done that and I don't know. It, it doesn't charge as fast as they say. I've gone to the Apple store to even look at that. When I started, or when Chris just asked you that question, I grabbed my Apple Pencil, and it was dead. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm serious. No, it's, it's hilarious. It's such a great thing when it's working, but it's it makes me laugh because, you know, there are so many times when I go, oh, I'll just notate this. Oh, rats. That's right. Yeah. Because you know, literally, my my iPad has become a tool. Um, the oh, only definitely. reason why I have the iPad is for Unreal Book. Like, I literally don't use it for anything else. Like, really? because it's too. Yeah, it's um, well, because the iPad Pro is way too big to just sit down and fool around with. To me, it's 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 just big. Like, uh, I just use my my um, you know, I have an iPhone 6s Plus, and um. It's good enough for me for almost everything. And then if I really want to sit down and just do one thing, I've always had a MacBook Pro. 
So, you know. And you have I, to have a I, MacBook I, Pro in order to program, right? Well, I'm just, just ever since I think that, um, you know, I can't remember. Ever since I got my first laptop was a PowerBook Duo. I don't know if you even remember that. It was so I have two awesome. Of them. You've got it, two it of was, them, Paul? Yes. A Still? PowerBook Duo? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that thing was unbelievably awesome when it first came out. And you yep. it, it, you could you could put it into a thing that was like a it was like a um a VCR. You you'd put it in it would literally you'd put it in a slot and it would mount in like take it in like a VCR tape. And then you press a button and it would come out like the actual laptop, and that allowed you to dock it to a um, to a monitor and different keyboard and and ever since then I never stopped. I never really had a Macintosh um, desktop. I mean, in terms for personal use. Right. I, everything was laptop. I mean, I loved uh, um, the PowerBook series and uh, and all the way going all the way up to. Um, um, the MacBook Pro. But wait, I have a funny story. Um, well, at one point, I needed to get a new PowerBook. And I was online. And this guy came online, and his name was Waz, right? <laughs> and I said, wait, is this Steve Wozniak? And he's like, yes. And I went, um, okay, well, I have a question. What's the best like, is a titanium power book any good? And I remember oh, him saying, it's the best Macintosh Apple has ever made. I went, that's it. I'm buying it. So <laughs> I go out and buy it, right? And I go, oh, man, it's not even any faster than my last, you know, CPU upgrade. And then shortly after there, you know, after that, I think the paint flaked off. And then um, it had the dreaded hinge problem. And then, you know, but to Apple's credit, it still runs. I have it right oh, here on the ground. Yeah. But I mean, it, that was funny because I mean, I couldn't believe that he was on a forum answering questions for something on the internet. So it really was like I don't, the real was. I guess because he was talking about, I remember asking, I, I asked him some lame question like, are you rich or something? <laughs> and then he was telling me something like about his, he said he lost a lot of money on his concerts or something. I don't know. Huh. Who knows if, you know. But, but yeah, I mean, I literally bought that computer based on that. I mean, <laughs> it's okay. It was, I guess it was cool. A titanium yeah. power book, you know. Speaking of old technology, Aaron, um, the iPad 1. You are the only developer I know that still has an app on the App Store available specifically for the iPad 1. Now, a couple questions with that. Number one is, do you have to keep your own iPad around to run? that and kind of yes. program for it and yes, then the other because yep oh sorry and then the other question just be is how is what are sales like i mean i'm not like exact figures but are people still buying that app with that in mind i mean that's what i wanted to ask you people are still buying it it's very low in terms of sales but um you know the way i feel about it is like my ipad one i was kind of amazed my ipad one running I think it's iOS 5, is literally now faster than my iPad mini running iOS 9. I mm. guess I guess iOS 9 had so much overhead that it just made my iP 
iPad mini bogged down and it's super slow. So, um, but the, the main reason why I kept the program around was because I did so much work on iOS 4 and 5 and, and just trying to um, make it run on that unit that I, that I went, you know, it's just such a waste if there's no program that can run on it. And, um, and, and there's kind of a lot of people that still are using the iPad 1. I, I can't believe it. Like, um, I remember running some kind of analytic thing, and there were, there were a surprisingly number of people still using it. Kind of weird. So now are there two, two separate apps, or is it just one app and it still supports all the way down to the iPad 1? It's just it's a separate app, and um, um, we I couldn't think of a name, so I just asked one of the users, and he just said, "Oh, how about Unreal Book One?" And I went, "Oh, okay, well that sounds good to me." <laughs> <laughs> so then we, so then I just named it that, and then I put it on, and it, you know, it's basically the program as it ran, you know, as best as it can run on under iOS five. And you're not tweaking it anymore, though, right? That's kind of just a end development. You don't have to edit anything. Well, the only reason why I'm not... Well, there's only one reason why I'm not tweaking it, and that's because it's becoming increasingly harder and harder to support anything, any old iOS applications. Like, um, um, it's very um, hit and miss whether your iPad will even appear under the um, development wow. environment. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's just been... You know... We shouldn't get too mad at the um, at the iOS developers when they only support, you know, um, the latest operating system because it's 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 a challenge to keep it running. Um, I would say that I I don't know if they're doing it on purpose, but I would say that it um, there's efforts to make it um, a little bit harder to run on old environments. Definitely. Here, here's an example. Um, there's um, an iOS simulator, and you can run it on your computer, and it simulates running in an old um, operating system. Um, I think that they canceled the iOS 5 simulator a while ago, so you can't really run it. So you couldn't, I couldn't even, if I wanted to do a tweak, I can't even test it out on my computer. Wow. I mean, yeah. Um, now, as of a little while ago, I believe I was able to mount the iPad 1, but it was, I remember it didn't really work, and and just miraculously it, it mounted one night. So I did a whole bunch of work, and then and then it stopped <laughs> mounting again, and yeah, that's, that's, that's the only reason. I mean, obviously, I would, I would totally put in some new features that don't affect things too much, you know? I think it's wonderful that you've made that possible because there are people that I know that just want to use an iPad for music, kind of like you talked about using the iPad Pro. Right. The iPad 1 would work perfectly for that, you know? Right. And uh, how much do they cost now if you bought one? I mean, a, on a used market. 125 bucks, maybe? Know. You know, 150 So Boy, I don't even think it's that much. Maybe maybe less than 100 Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Now, does the foot pedals work with that too, don't they? Like the air turn or whatever? Yep. Okay. Yep. Foot pedals all work. Do you want to talk about foot pedals at all? Because I know you're one of the programs that supports all of them. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, you know, I really like the Air Turn series. They're, those guys are fantastic, and um, they do everything they can to, um, to help the developers. In fact, as we were talking, I just got a notification that a new um, version of their uh, library was available. So those guys are terrific. And then the other uh, company that I really support is um, um, the iRig, um, IK Multimedia iRig Blueboard series. That, that pedal is awesome. Um, so you can program the buttons and so you can have a custom layout. Um, and you can choose between the different layouts. So you can, you can have the first pedal, you know, jump to a certain page, the second pedal, maybe, you know, start and play the player, and then the other two pedals, you know, maybe page back and page forward. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's a really good pedal. Do you know what the, the prices are of those multimedia ones or the IK multimedia? I think it's it's about a hundred. Okay. And um and then they have a smaller one that might be like um seventy seventy five dollars or something. Do you does yours work with the page flip too, that whole series, or is that still business in business any anymore? Um I've I've been told that it works with the page flip, but I don't really um the the page flip I believe is a air turn clone. So I support it indirectly through the AirTurn library. Okay. I haven't really um, used one in a long time, but I know it works because um, some of my friends have it. But yeah, um, AirTurn, AirTurn has a new pedal called the, it's relatively new. It's called the PED. Yep, I have one and of them. Uses, yep. Yeah, th that is a great pedal. It's nice and flat and has an extra battery inside. And um, I really like taking that one around if I travel because it's so thin and small and light. Really durable. It's great. Yeah. I mean, you just throw it in your gig bag. And um, and you know what is really cool is I found this awesome. Um, <laughs> you guys are gonna laugh. It's a um, it's a clipboard um, holder. I mean, that's what they call it. But what it is is it's a plastic. Um, it's a plastic case that I guess you're supposed to throw in um, legal size paper but on the outside it has a clipboard like you know the spring to hold papers now it's plastic and you know what the iPad Pro fits right in it and but but I literally bought it for the the first generation iPad and um, and I remember you know you just put the iPad in there and you know what? You throw it in your gig bag and it's lasted years. It's lasted falls. It's lasted like things being thrown on it. It's amazing. Isn't that great? Something you didn't, wasn't made for it. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just saw it at a, like a local store. Um, you know, one of those stationary stores and it, and it's amazing. It protect completely protects the iPad. Now I do have one of those, um, you know the typical iPad covers on it, but but that thing literally protects it. And um, I remember when I got the iPad Pro, I went, "Oh well, there goes this great case." And then somebody <laughs> said, "Well, does it fit?" And I went, "Oh, I never tried. I don't think so." And then I put it in, and it's perfect. Oh man. Yeah, I mean it's it's just kind of amazing. Like it, so, you can just put it in your gig bag, and literally you don't have to worry about things being on it or anything. Because that's an issue. I mean, I don't know how people carry around their um, 
iPads when they go and play music, you know? It's scary. I don't scary. know where they put it. Yeah, I don't know where they put it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that that little case is awesome. And yeah. it's cheap. I can't remember. It's less than uh, $20 or something. So on your app, Aaron... I mean, we're we're pushing time a little bit here, but yeah, already, yeah. <laughs> I've got to get one more question in. I mean, you're the developer. There's so many things in it. What's something that's really cool that your app does that people might have missed? Well, uh, again, along with the um, with the iRig um, Blueboard, um, my friend who's a classical player, he really wanted a way to. Um, you know, jump to different pages and um, and use DSs and quotas. Um, and there's a way to assign a hotspot to any one of those buttons on the iRig. And you can make it so that literally every single time you press this button, it jumps to the quota sign, you know, to wherever the quota is. So that's one thing that we put a lot of time into um, because a lot of these guys do a lot of shows and... Um, they need things like that. Oh, and one more thing is that um, in the set list um, pop-up, song pop-up, I put in, um, it's called MIDI override. And what it allows you to do is, um, even though you have a MIDI uh, message for the actual song itself, you can put in another one in the set list song pop-up, and it overrides the one that was inside of the actual um the, the MIDI that was actually assigned to the document. And what they use that for is um, Broadway. Okay. Um, one of the, yeah, one of the Broadway users told me that, this, you know, when, when they get another Kurzweil keyboard or something, they need to send out a different message. And, and being a, by being able to do that, they can, um, you know, load custom set lists just for that keyboard. Oh, so it's a different show, different keyboard, different messages. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he said that that was, like, totally useful. So there's there are certain things that I put in for people. See, here's the thing. If they write me and they tell me something and, it man, it totally makes sense and I can do it, like it's feasible, I'll usually try and do it. Um, the only things that I really don't like to do that much is when... um. I know it's going to have some kind of really radical effect on the program and it might make it unstable. That's my biggest worry is that um, I'll add something in that'll take so, so much memory and um, it might make the program unstable. And that's when I have to really think about it and kind of sit down and go, you know, I don't know if I can do this. Do you remember the days when we had to worry about the size of a PDF? Remember those days? And we don't have to worry about them anymore, really. Well, yeah, but except that there's still people, you know, using some of the older iPads. That's true. So, yeah. <laughs> I know, we, we kind of forget about those guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a developer, there's no um, feeling like getting an email and it says, the program is not working. I have a gig in one hour. <laughs> Please fix it. So then you're like, whoa, you know. You surprised me with that. I thought you were about to say, there's no feeling when you get a letter from someone and they're like, I love your app. It's the best app I've ever used. Thank you. Here I thought you were going to say something no, like that. Man. And you just took you, it the other no way. It was pretty funny. Like that. You just get this sinking feeling and you're like, oh my God. 
<laughs> you're like, did I change anything in this thing? Like, you know, but usually, I mean, luckily, almost every one of those um, instances have been solved. You know, whatever it takes. I mean, if, if I figure it out that it's, yeah, it's something that it was my problem, I'll put them on the beta list right away and get them something before they have to do that gig, if I can. Yeah, I've done that several times already. I mean, I, I'll just literally, you know, even if it's not my fault, like some, you know, I, I can't remember, somebody erased all of their files. And um, yeah, but we got it all back using, um, using a backup and using a program called iMazing. It allows you to get into your backups and restore your files. Well, you know, Aaron, we're, we're way over time, which is okay. Um, but I, I know Paul and I are both enjoying talking to you. If we gave you a call in the future, would you be open to coming and visiting with us again sometime? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was just great to talk to you guys. Oh, it's, uh, Paul can speak too, but it's, it's just a pleasure to talk to you. And I, I, I think your story, your background, hearing from a developer really helps us understand the process so much more. Yeah, it's it's wonderful talking to you guys. Yeah. So, um, Aaron, if people want to to um, buy your apps or contact you, how do they do that? And we'll let you say that yourself of how they find your apps and how they contact you. Um, basically, there's a shortened URL, and it's called unrealbook.rocks, R-O-C-K-S. Or they can just go to diystompboxes.com and... Um, Oh, actually, sorry, there's another URL, unrealbookapp.com. So they can go, they can reach it either way. And you're on Twitter too, right? Yes, and that's under um, at unrealbook. Okay. Paul, do you have anything else? I don't. It's been wonderful talking to you, Aaron. We appreciate it. Yeah, that was really fun. Thank you. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning in to this fourth episode we'll get Aaron in the future to come back and we can follow up with maybe some of your thoughts but Aaron again thank you for your time and Paul thanks for visiting with us too you're welcome yeah thank you that was fun and just as a reminder if you'd like to contact us please do so at metpodcast at gmail.com and you can also find our show notes at metpodcast.wordpress.com as always thanks for listening and we'll see you the next time.